From the Carlson Law Firm, welcome to Season 1 of The Verdict, a podcast about the laws and processes that shape the real courtroom outcomes of personal injury cases. I'm your host, Keja Conway. It's nearly unheard of to file a lawsuit for food poisoning. However, it is one of the many ways a person can suffer personal injuries from the negligence of another. Food quality is a serious business. Between county health department inspections and media attention to health department scores, personal injury attorneys stand as the defenders and protectors of food safety. These attorneys ensure that restaurants are held accountable for food mishandling. And while not every food poisoning case is worthy of a lawsuit or even media attention, those that result in tens of thousands of dollars in medical bills need to be brought to the attention of others. These cases serve as a warning of what can happen when a restaurant fails in proper food preparation practices. My name is Katherine Knotts. I'm a partner with the Carlson Law Firm, and I have had the wonderful opportunity to represent Jermaine Mobley in a lawsuit uh, that was filed um, against Asian King Buffet. Waxahachie, Texas is the county seat of Ellis County. With a population of about 35,000, the city sits just south of Dallas. This Texas town became the focus of national and international headlines in the summer of 2018 when news outlets began reporting on our client Jermaine Mobley's $1 million lawsuit against Asian King Buffet. Just two summers before she became America's favorite grandma, our client dined at the restaurant with an old friend. Little did she know that hours later, the fried rice she consumed while at the restaurant would land her in the ICU for nine days. Ms. Mobley actually had gone to Asian King Buffet in Waxahachie, Texas uh, to eat lunch, uh, a belated birthday lunch with a friend. Uh, While she was there, she ate the fried rice and ate some of the other items on the buffet. It was a typical lunch that she would have had with a friend, uh, but within the time she left the restaurant in Waxahachie and the time she got home in Corsicana, which is only about a 30-40 minute drive, she began to feel ill. And this was more than just, oh, my stomach's a little hurting or I'm overly full. She very quickly became um, very seriously ill uh, with severe vomiting, severe diarrhea, and the problems persisted. Uh, By the next day, she was actually having a hard time and difficulty with breathing. Uh, So her husband became very, very concerned for her well-being and called for an ambulance. She was transported by an ambulance to Rivera Regional Hospital where she actually ended up being admitted to the hospital and was actually um, on a ventilator for nine days and in the ICU. What did the doctors say was wrong? The official diagnosis, and you'll have to forgive me, I may mispronounce this, I am not a biologist (laughs) or a chemist, but Bacillus cereus, which was actually a bacteria that she contracted when she consumed the fried rice. The bacteria Bacillus cereus can double its numbers in as little as 20 minutes. When the doctors explained to her husband what they had ultimately determined was her illness, and he described it to the husband. Of course, the husband didn't know what it was, and the doctor actually used the layman's term, fried rice syndrome. And what the doctor explained to them and what the family learned through talking with the doctor was that there is a bacteria that can form on any food item that is left in a room temperature for a lengthy period of time. Mm-hmm. It more commonly happens in fried rice because one of the methods in cooking fried rice is that you cook rice you lay it out, it goes to room temperature, and then you recook it when you fry it. Well, the problem was because it set out for too long, this bacteria formed, and then it was ingested by her when she consumed the fried rice. Like many bacteria, Bacillus cereus can be found in the soil. 
This means that the bacteria is present even in uncooked rice. And because Bacillus cereus can withstand high heat, it can often survive the initial cooking process. If left at room temperature, the bacteria quickly multiplies and produces toxins that cause food poisoning symptoms such as nausea and diarrhea. For many people, if they consumed it, they would become ill, maybe not to the level that Miss uh, Mobley did, but they would become severely ill. Miss Mobley had a weakened condition though because of some pre-existing issues. Because of her congestive heart failure, she actually, um, because it caused those respiratory problems, is why she ended up being admitted into the hospital. She was on a ventilator for a lengthy period of time. It took her several months to regain her strength. This is a condition that restaurants, when they have guests, they don't invite only the fit, trim, healthy young people. They invite people of all ages and health conditions. And in this case, because they did not exercise the proper techniques in cooking and preparing and serving their food, they caused a woman who, although maybe had a little bit more higher risk of contracting a, a severe problem, she should not have contracted it from consuming their food. A lot of people were actually unaware of what fried rice syndrome was. Had you heard of it prior to the lawsuit? Actually, no. In fact, when Miss Mobley contacted our office, there was a part of me thought, what is this crazy lady talking about? <laughs> and while I was doing her consult, because I was talking with her over the phone, I started Googling what is fried rice syndrome, thinking she was just making something up. And what I quickly read was that, no, it actually is a condition and when I began reading more about Bacillus cereus and fried rice syndrome, it really brought to my attention how risky it is for restaurants to exercise practices that allow food to go to a room temperature and then reheated back up and then served particularly on a buffet line where it sits again at a temperature for a lengthy period of time. Ultimately, why did you decide to take Mrs. Mobley's case? We're contacted oftentimes about food poisoning cases. Fortunately for the person contacting me, unfortunately for our ability to represent them, oftentimes the injuries don't rise to the level of a lawsuit. As bad as it is that somebody gets food poisoning or they get sick, if they don't seek medical treatment, there's not much I can really do to help them. Oftentimes the restaurant might offer a, a gift card or a re rebate or a reimbursement of their money, but there's beyond that, there's not much I would be able to do. They're also very hard cases to sometimes prove. In Ms. Mobley's case, because her injuries were so severe, her medical bills were in excess of $20,000. She was suffering a severe financial hardship because of the negligence of Asian King Buffet. I felt compelled to represent her and make sure that we prevented this, not just made sure she was taken care of, mm -hmm. but prevent this from happening to somebody else. I don't want to give us too much credit as a firm, but one of the reasons that a lot of people now know what fried rice syndrome is, is because we decided to do press around the topic and Mrs. Mobley. Why do you think people were so interested? In fairness, I think initially the media was attracted to the case simply based off of the documents we did file with the court. There are some procedural requirements that I'm obligated to do as an attorney when I file a lawsuit in Texas. And one of those is that I have to plead the maximum amount of damage. As a, an attorney representing a client, I would never want to artificially cap that number for my client because that would be the maximum amount of money I could recover. So if I file on my paperwork, um, the way the paperwork's filed with the court, there's categories you have to pick. And if I picked a lower category and later a jury found 
um, a higher amount for my client, my client would still be kept out by the amount I asked for. And so part of our my standard practice is that I always ask for in excess of a million dollars. Now, does that always mean I believe that at the end of the day, a jury is going to award more than that? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. But when I am initially filing a lawsuit, I don't know what all I'm going to find when I do discovery with the defendant. And the information I may find may bring something to light that a jury would award that amount of money. If in doing my investigation, something came out that identified a common practice for this buffet to reserve food from the day before, then that might rise to the level where a jury awarded punitive damages that would end up exceeding that amount. Now, on the first level, I think that's why the initial media picked up on it. But I think the second reason um, so much more of the articles were presented is Miss Mobley was a wonderful lady. I, I am saying was because uh, unfortunately Miss Mobley did pass away this last summer uh, for unrelated conditions to the lawsuit. But Miss Mobley was a wonderful lady. She was friendly. She was likable. Um, she was a grandma, and she, I, I enjoyed sitting at her house and visiting with her. And the third reason I think the media really picked up with it is because how many of us eat at Chinese buffets? How many of us walk in a front door of a Chinese buffet and expect that the food will be quality product that's served to us, that's fit for consumption, and that it is in a healthy condition, meaning that it's not containing a bacteria that's going to make us deathly ill. It was a shock to people to hear that you could contract such a very serious illness literally from eating fried rice off of a buffet line. So how does the law work to protect us from unsanitary food conditions in restaurants? Well, of course, we have the Texas Health and Safety Code that actually outlines expectations for restaurants. They are expected to not introduce into commerce, meaning into the general public for consumption, Mm -hmm. adulterated food, and that they have a responsibility to store, handle, and maintain goods in a manner that prevents spoiling and contamination. Our government actually sets out parameters and restrictions that monitor restaurants to ensure that they are serving food in a proper condition. If you've ever been to a restaurant, if you look at the front, uh, restaurants that are really proud of it will post it because they want to show that the health department has been there and done an inspection and how great they score. If you're in areas of, of the state, sometimes the local news will run articles in on their evening news about the, the restaurant scores. I always find it interesting when I go to a restaurant and they don't want to post their scores. And what I have found after having represented Miss Mobley, um, I've been a little bit more aware of it now, how many restaurants I walk into that don't want to display their, their restaurant score. The uh, health department does periodic inspections of them. The inspections are from everything from what is food temperature kept at, how food is stored, how clean is the restaurant. And they check so many things beyond what we, as a general public, think of. They actually, the health department and the health inspector, when he comes, he or she comes in, checks so many different things. And they're all designed to ensure that the general public is receiving safe and safe products for consumption mm-hmm. and that they are being protected because how many of us unknowingly walk into a restaurant? We walk into a restaurant unknowing what's gone on in that kitchen. So that's why the health department comes in and does the inspections because they're there to go behind the closed door to see what's going on so that they can ensure the protection and safety of our public. What are the consequences of restaurants failing to comply with health and safety codes and how does that equate to a lawsuit? Violations of the health and safety code, of course, the restaurant through the the governmental entity monitoring them, they can be fined. They can also, they can be shut down. You've probably seen restaurants and news postings about 
a restaurant has been shut down by the health department for a period of time until they can correct the behavior that they violate. As far as a civil lawsuit goes, that information is information we gather during what's called the discovery phase of the lawsuit where we do some of our investigation. And when I identify a restaurant who in their past has had a pattern of behavior of violations, it lends itself more to being indicative of a consistent pattern of that behavior that very likely is what led to what caused my client's problem. So it helps support our belief of and opinion on what occurred to our client. In this case, I actually did research and conducted um, a request for the past reports for this restaurant for many years back. And what we found was a prolific violations by this restaurant, many times often dealing with food temperature issues. And interestingly enough, in this case, part of my standard request in the discovery phase is to request a restaurant to produce for us the temperature reports, the okay. reports of what they did in maintaining temperature of their food. Particularly in a buffet, that's something that's essential. They are required to monitor periodically throughout the day the temperature of their food and keep a record of that. The re in fact, the health department, when they come in, will ask to see those reports, and failing to be able to produce those reports can result in a violation for them. Interestingly enough, in this case, when I requested this information, up until this point, I have been told that that information has not been located. Is this information that you can find with the health department? You can actually request uh, health department records are a matter of public record. And so part of my uh, job as the attorney is when I'm doing my investigation is I submit an open records request for a certain amount of time. In this case, I believe we requested two years prior to my client's injury and we requested all of the health department violations. And if I receive a health department record that just shows for a restaurant consistent periodic reports from the health department where they scored passing scores and didn't have significant violations, that's not great for my case, great for the restaurant and the public. In this case, when we submitted our request for uh, two years of history, not only did we get, of course, the periodic inspections, but mm -hmm. we got a multitude of violations that were found by the health department when they would do those inspections. You mentioned earlier that, that Mrs. Mobley has passed away. How does that affect your lawsuit? It's my belief that it does have a negative impact on the lawsuit. It does not eliminate our ability to seek a recovery for Ms. Mobley's family because they are entitled under Texas law to recover on her behalf. In this case, where I feel that it maybe lessens the case or weakens the case is that I don't have Ms. Mobley to tell her story. And that's absolutely what I would want to have in a case. I would love to be able to have her testify and tell a jury what this did to her and how this impacted her because no matter how eloquent of a speaker I am and how wonderful I tell her story, it's her story. And unfortunately, she did pass away before we were able to give her the opportunity to tell that story. How has the defense reacted to this information? I'm Thankfully, the defense has been very respectful of the family mm -hmm. um, as they've grieved the loss of uh, Ms. Mobley. Uh, they have indicated to us um, a desire to also potentially resolve this matter if possible. But at this point, I don't know if that will be, be feasible or if we will be able to do that. But I think both parties, both both counsel, myself, as well as the attorney representing the defendant, we're both working to do the very best job for our client, but also making sure that we, if, if possible, resolve this in an amicable way that doesn't consume the time of a jury. Um, but if we're not able to, then we will seek the decision-making power of a jury in a civil trial. What would you say is the biggest battle in pursuing food poisoning cases? The biggest battle I have encountered, I have several food poisoning cases currently, and the biggest battle I'm identifying is that as humans, we don't 
document and record every item we consume. Even if you're a health conscious person and you're keeping a, a food journal or food log, you're not recording how it was prepared. And most people don't if you're eating in a restaurant. You don't know how the food was prepared. And so what happened I'm finding with a lot of food poisoning cases is that people get sick, but then the question becomes from the defense, how do I pinpoint it to the food product that we specifically say the restaurant prepared? And in Ms. Mobley's case, one of the challenges is if she consumed food on the buffet, presumably so did other people. And if they weren't notified of a, a report from other people, how do we know that, that she consumed the product, that their product is what caused the injury? Now, of course, my argument against that is for most people, if they became ill from the product, they would have been sick for a day or two and it would have passed. Hers was much more severe because of her condition. Now, the other challenges I'm identifying is, like I said, because people don't record everything, when we get into the course of the lawsuit, one of the questions the defense asks us is, all foods consumed by them in the 72 hours prior to being diagnosed with the condition? Six months, for that matter. Can you remember what you ate last week? No. To not a at tea? All. Not at all. No, most people can't. The other challenge um, with some of the cases is that if the doctors who examine her don't perform certain tests that identify the specific strain of bacteria or what would have caused the problem, they generally diagnose them with gastroenteritis. Well, gastroenteritis is a general description, and so it does not specify that it is food poisoning. And so those are some of the challenges with the case. Uh, I've, have, I've had other cases where the defense argues that the condition could have been contracted after the patient was admitted to the hospital uh, because it could have been in a hospital-acquired illness. Uh, those are the challenges, is really being able to pinpoint and show that the actual defendant we are suing is the one who created and prepared and served the tainted product. You touched on this earlier, but what specifically does a client need in order for you to take on a food poisoning case? For it to be, for it to rise to the level of a case that I will file a lawsuit on, there does have to be pretty significant injuries. Um, there are oftentimes people contact our office and we will try to negotiate a resolution for them with lower level injuries, but there has to be medical treatment. Absent medical treatment, there is not anything I can really do to help them. Now, the more severe their medical injuries are, the more likely that I would be able to file a lawsuit on their behalf. At the end of the day, I have to know that I can recover enough for somebody in the course of a lawsuit that justifies the time involved in the lawsuit, the expense that will be involved, and that it will actually result in a, a recovery to them. The last thing I want to do is put somebody through the ordeal of a lawsuit to look at them at the end and say, congratulations, we won, but there's no money for you because I've spent it all already. And that's a hard part about my job is that I, at every case I work, regardless whether it's food poisoning or any case, when I'm looking to file a lawsuit, there has to be a financial threshold decision made. And that was hard for me because I care about people and I want to help them regardless of how big their, big their cases or not. At the end of the day, I'm doing them a disservice if I walk them through the ordeal of a lawsuit, knowing from day one that they will not see, they will not see any of the recovery from the lawsuit. And so oftentimes I'm able to meet with people. If somebody contacts me and they've not had medical treatment, I give them some advice on how to handle the matter on their end. But then if I identify and talking with them that it is something I can help them with, then I'm always glad to do so. For the average person listening, if they have contracted food poisoning, what do you suggest they do? 
the first thing I would say is if they still have any part of the food product that they consume that they believe is what caused them food poisoning, of course, first, don't eat any more of it. <laughs> but second, do maintain possession of that, that, food, that food product. Interestingly enough, a lot of times people will put it in the freezer, but that can actually sometimes kill some of the various bacteria. But the more important thing is your doctor's going to want to know this, as well as if you do end up having to pursue a case, will be something asked from the defense attorney or an insurance company. Mm -hmm. And that would be to have a log of what you ate in the 72 hours leading up to the incident. And not just food that you consumed, but every product that you consumed, whether it's a medication, mm -hmm. a vitamin, a supplement, uh, food, anything like that, because they're going to want to identify, was there something else that could have caused it? The other thing, of course, to do is document what your symptoms are. And I encourage you, go to see your doctor. A lot of times people think, oh, I've got food poisoning, it'll pass. But there's so many other complications that can come with food poisoning, dehydration, uh, other illnesses that can be contracted. If you have a weakened condition already, it can exacerbate those. At minimum, go see your doctor. If you have someone who contracted food poisoning and they don't need medical treatment, what would you suggest they do? I would definitely encourage them to contact the health department to report their condition. At minimum, it's going to prompt the health department to go out and do an additional inspection on the restaurant, identify if there is a problem that needs to be remedied. And then second, I would encourage them to contact the restaurant and report it. And not just call the restaurant manager and say, hey, I got sick from your food, but ask that a a incident report be documented so that there is documentation that you reported food poisoning to them. The reason why I encourage you to do that is, thankfully, if you were the one who contracted food poisoning and you got sick, but thankfully it resolved, that's wonderful and fine. What if the person who sat next to you at the restaurant got severely and deathly ill from it? By you not reporting it, you've also created a scenario where the defense will argue in the case that nobody else in the restaurant reported the injury. And really it's not a case that, that nobody else got sick, it's just that nobody reported it. But the defense will use that to insinuate that nobody else got sick but the plaintiff. And so I encourage anybody who contracts what they believe to be food poisoning from a food at a restaurant to call the restaurant and report it. The second reason to report it to a restaurant is you want the restaurant to fix that condition and problem mm -hmm. so that it doesn't happen to anybody else. And if there's only way you're going to be able to do that is if they are aware of it and made aware of it. One thing they have a responsibility to do is to inspect and examine their food before serving it. Once they are put on notice that there is a problem, then they're going to take extra steps to ensure that it doesn't happen to anybody else. Sadly, Jermaine Mobley unexpectedly passed away in September 2018. Her case is still ongoing because her family wants to see it through. Personal injury attorneys perform a service in the interest of public good. A civil lawsuit like the one Mrs. Mobley filed against Asian King Buffet holds businesses accountable when injuries occur. If you or a loved one suffered injuries because of the negligence of another, visit us at carlsonattorneys.com where we offer valuable resources on the topic you just listened to. We'd also love for you to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and recommend us to your friends. As always, if you're in need of a personal injury attorney, give us a call at 1-800-359-5690. We are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We care and we can help.